0: Hello, and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast, or simply have an interest in sport, you've come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation, and as always, plenty of entertainment. Well, how are you this week? I'm settling back into life at home after the last few weeks in the sun in Lanzarote. I'm missing the warm, sunny weather, but I am certainly looking forward to some cozy days and nights in front of the fire, chilling with a movie or a good book over the festive period. It's been almost impossible to settle back into any semblance of a routine since I've been home. So I'm just going to go with the flow and enjoy the freedom and flexibility that I have between now and Christmas. I have some big plans in the pipeline for 2022, so there'll be plenty of structure, routine and training on the horizon once we hit the new year. More on that over the coming weeks. Hashtag Watch This Space. I worked my last live job of the year last Sunday at the Cycling Connacht Provincial Cyclocross Race in Spiddle in Galway hosted by Grail CC a late addition to the diary after having lots of fun in Westport the previous week at the Cyclocross Race hosted by Westport Covey Wheelers and the Building for the Future event hosted by Cycling Connacht where a great gathering of passionate cyclists came together to learn, educate, inspire and connect for the future development of cycling in the province and beyond. It's been some year The first half was pretty quiet on the announcing front and then once I got going in July, the past few months and especially the last three months have been a complete whirlwind of announcing adventures filled with opportunities for which I am very grateful. If this pandemic has taught me anything, it is not to take anything for granted and to seize every opportunity that is offered, even if it scares the crap out of you or puts you way outside of your comfort zone. Before I introduce our guests for this week, a quick shout out to our 300 plus participants who've taken on our December fitness challenge. We are on the final stretch with the challenge now. If you are interested in finding out more or jumping on board, pop over to trytalkingsport.com to sign up. Also, keep an eye on our social media for a host of prizes being given away as part of our Christmas Cracker promotion. There are a range of race entries, products and vouchers to be won right through this month, so be sure to check it out mentioned a minute ago about taking every opportunity that is offered even if it pushes you outside your comfort zone and in this episode I did both with huge thanks to Tommy Evans and Porek Murray they lined up Irish cycling legend Nicholas Roach as the guest for this week's podcast which was a huge and I mean huge opportunity now you might wonder how that pushed me outside of my comfort zone, but it did. Whilst I'm a big fan and have followed Nico's career and been in tune with his cycling and success generally, professional cycling is not something that I can say I am an expert on. In fact, I'm more of a jack-of-all-trades master or, in this case, madam of none, so stepping up to interview Nico Roach with his decorated, successful and very public career in sport was definitely an exciting but slightly nerve-wracking prospect. I needn't have worried. Nico was a gem to interview and this show is one that everyone can relate to whether you have an interest in cycling or not. With a professional career in cycling spanning 17 years, Nicholas Roach has enjoyed a successful career on the world stage with some of the best and biggest teams and the best riders in the sport of cycling. The four-time Olympian and former Irish national champion has competed for Ireland seven times at the Road World Championships. He won two stages of the Vuelta de España and has also had a fifth and sixth finish overall in the event. He started a total of 24 grand tours and has had a total of 65 top 10 finishes in grand tour stages during his decorated career in cycling. Based mainly in Monaco, he is the son of one of Ireland's most prolific and accomplished cyclist, Stephen Roach. Nico carved his own way in the sport with natural talent, a tenacious attitude, determination and hard work. He has had an incredible career on two wheels and enjoyed lots of success on the bike at home and abroad. In October this year, Nico retired from professional cycling as now venturing into the next chapter of his career. Since this episode was recorded, Nico has been announced as a participant in this year's Dancing with the Stars in Ireland, ditching his bike for his dancing shoes and the lycra for some glitter, getting his retirement off to a dazzling start. With such a high profile, lots of Nico's life, results and success on the bike has already been documented and aired extensively. In this episode, our 70th of the podcast, we take a road slightly less travelled in getting to know Nico and get an insight to his life, both on and off the bike. This is the last episode before Christmas, so happy Christmas, everyone. Thanks for the support and the interest in the podcast. I hope you have plenty of festive fun and enjoy the build up to the big day. Now, go grab a cuppa and enjoy the show. It's a great one. Nicholas Roach, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I am totally starstruck and totally fangirling and excited to have you on the show. Hi, John. How are you today?
1: Good, good. Thank you very much.
0: I saw you were out cycling, you were up in Wicklow, cycling in the hills, the ice and having coffee.
1: Yeah, that that resumes this morning. All right. Yeah, I was up uh, up in the Wicklow's, made an attempt. Uh, literally after a couple of seconds after I did that that video, about 200 meters later, there was a really big ice patch. I said, all right, that's it. I'll, it's a sign I'll turn around and then we shot down into Aniskari and had a little coffee and scone, which was uh, nice and tasty and then just kind of cycled my way back to Dundrum.
0: So I'm really excited to hear that you had coffee on a scone because the only reason I cycle is for cake.
1: Yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so Nico, uh, how is retirement going generally? I mean, you're you're a wet week, retired, but you're still training away. I saw you were out running the other day as well. Are you enjoying the downtime and the freedom?
1: Well, enjoying is a, is a big word. Let's say I've been doing a lot, a lot of things um, that the last two months, you know, I've only slept, I think, six nights in my, my apartment in Monaco. I've just been undergo, undergo, undergo. At the moment, it's about uh, preparing the future. What's coming next? Cycling was a big chunk of my life, um, and unfortunately, I can't afford just sitting home and waiting for time to click by. So I need to be proactive, and I want to prepare 2022 today and not wait until January when everything has already started. So I was extremely busy pushing a few doors right, left, and center, trying to you know to to, to get stuff done. So as when the new year comes. I can a little bit relax in the spring from the work that I've been doing now. So it's a little bit difficult because, you know, I I wish I'd go. And okay I did have an eight day holiday, which was amazing because it was, you know, a guilt free holiday and I was out. It didn't matter if I slept or didn't sleep or what I ate or what I drank. And even the ice cream just tasted like ice cream. And I had like 100 percent guilt free. So it was a short holiday. It's been two years I hadn't had a holiday. It was eight days, but it was more than enough. I, I lived it to the full. And I came back almost, <laughs> I was more tired than when I left. But, uh, but what I want to say is that at least mentally, it, it was a big, big mental break. And that, that felt good. I didn't think about, oh, if I put on two kilos now, next week, i will be hard to lose them. I was in the gym every day just to be able to just to enjoy more the evening. Uh, and also, you know, um, my brand is fitness and I want to stay fit and be fit. And, you know, I, I don't want to retire and put on a huge amount of weight. I've put on already enough weight in, in my opinion. And I'm, you know, it's, I'm struggling with seeing my body change uh, and I'm bulking up. I'm putting a lot of muscle weight. I've been in the gym a lot and doing quite some workouts, but it, but it's changing from, from a cyclist. I'm becoming more like a man, more than a, a, a cyclist body. Uh, and it is not not easy to, to cope with it, but it's just I need to stay active also because it keeps my, my mind going and from going crazy and sitting at my home and rethinking, you know, it's still very fresh. So it's like it's still like, oh, did I make the right choice? Yes. No, maybe I could have done a year more. I uh, know uh, I don't want to do you year more. And then I see some photos and I see the snow and the rain is like, nah, I wouldn't do another year of that. And so it's all this kind of mixed feeling. So it's like I'm, I'm living retirement or the last two months, really 100K an hour. But enjoying some days, some days are harder because, like I said, there's also this massive uncertainty because today uh, I'm not going to say, all right, next year I'm going to be this. I have like eight or nine different things that are adding up every weekend. So, I've, you know, I'll be doing a bits and pieces with uh, with Trinity Sport, uh, looking after the mountain bike team, which is I'm super excited to go and do something like that. Um, I'll be doing a bits and pieces with TD, bits and pieces with other companies. I'll be brand ambassador for some, uh, some of the, the, the big brands. So there's like a couple of things clicking together, but I can't say, you know, Oh, January, I'll be a sports director or I'll be a manager or I'll be a TV host or whatever it is. So all that is kind of exciting and also frightening because it's like, you know, putting a puzzle together and you're trying to get all the pieces to, to complete the puzzles.
0: I imagine the way you're explaining it to me is that it's actually quite overwhelming. Like you've gone from the comfort of having, you know, the team environment and probably everything done for you to now being free to just sort out your whole own life. Um, And that it probably can get a little bit overwhelming. It is coming into Christmas as well when things begin to shut down. So a lot of teams and activities will have their plans made. But I'm sure that the brand and the name um, will open lots of doors for you.
1: Well, hopefully, you know, uh, I worked hard on, on that and, you know, keeping a clean image during, during my career. But, uh, you know, they, they, I'm known as kind of the gentleman of the Peloton and all that. I was always very sponsor friendly. I was media friendly, also in the bunch of very, very few enemies. So there was always this kind of clean, neat image of me in, in the Peloton. And hopefully uh, that will attract some of the brands and it has attracted some of the brands. And, you know, I can't wait to, to already share all, all the couple of the brands that I'll be associated with in January.
0: Brilliant. You were very active on social media throughout. You are active so on social media now, but even during Covid, you were very active with it. You were sharing photos of your Zwifting on your balcony and just, I suppose, allowing people to get a little glimpse of your life. And that's really important for the future now, because we see what your life was kind of like. What was Covid like for you, Nico?
1: Covid was tough. Uh, you know, I spent, was it almost nine, uh, yeah, almost nine to ten weeks on my own in my apartment, uh, and it was tough. And you know what? The social media was like my 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 window to the world. Uh it, it just it was my way of not just talking to the walls and I had an audience. And also I, I felt that you know it was very, very difficult for for a lot of people, and a lot of people were alone, but at least I wasn't alone in a privileged environment and I had you know a goal every day to get on the bike, train, stay fit get out of COVID, go for the Tour de France, whatever, where some people were stuck at home and and it was hard for them because they didn't have that thing to look forward when things reopened. And so, you know, I was like, if I give people some kind of motivation, say, keep going, keep going, keep going is, you know, go for it, do exercise, do whatever, have a glass of wine, have, cook yourself a nice meal, take time to do things as well for yourself to kind of fill in the day. So it was more like, you know, it it was giving in a window of keeping People busy as well because they, they were. Everyone had a bit of curiosity, and all you had to do was go on social media or watch Netflix. So that that was lockdown for a lot of people because you just could not get out of your apartment or your your house. So so in a way, it was like one interacting for me with others, and it kept me going from from going insane, and two also I think you know I was getting a lot of support from people saying Nico. Congrats, you get me going. And when I look at you doing your four hours on the ergo, uh, it gets me going, and I'm going to do the steps tomorrow when I go running. And it wasn't just about being cyclist, you know, it's just about being active. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I'd have a glass of wine and, I'd, you know, pop a bottle. And, ah, Nico. And, and then suddenly I'd also spend a lot of time responding to a lot of the messages uh, on my DMs. And, you know, I'd have. Just open to meet new people, chat and, you know, meet someone who wanted to chat about wine, whiskies, or just generally diets and food and training. And I kind of because I needed to keep busy as well. So all that interaction with kind of me opening up to the, let's say, a bit more into my intimacy, but also the fact that I felt that I was actually being useful. And that kept me going because. When I was having a hard time, was like, I need to go today on train because I know a lot of people are waiting for me to go on train to get them going. And that gave me a little bit more energy.
0: And I also think as well, um, during lockdown, doing things like that gives those that are doing a little bit of a, a sense of purpose. Um, and a sense of identity as well, you know, and, and helps with the routine because a lot of us need a routine in our lives to uh, to continue to focus on, on the end goal. Nico, as I mentioned off air before we chatted, uh, there's been lots of interviews, lots of discussion. Your whole career is available for people to see online, to read, to listen to on other podcasts. So I'm going down a very different type of route with you tonight. I'm going to ask you some obscure questions and going to ask you some questions that maybe you've been asked before. Hopefully some questions you won't have been asked. But the very first question I'm going to ask you is what sports did you play as a child and did you ever consider pursuing those sports professionally rather than cycling?
1: So I was a very hyperactive kid. So I've done a lot of things as a very, very young age. uh, One of the first sports I did was running because my mom was a runner and it was it was easy. Uh, I did running. I did judo. uh, I did swimming. didn't like swimming. Uh, I even did ice skating in the winter but ice skating i was just focused on on speed and not really on technique my my only interest was just to go as fast as possible around the ring so that didn't work out so i only did one year of that Uh, i did running for about five six years um and quite seriously and i was very good at cross country and at the 400 meters and then um when i was about 10 then i started playing soccer because it was more social and all my friends from school played soccer when you was running it was just always on your own and okay you had the training with the guys but it was just going to races on your own and it didn't have the same fun and sometimes when you're 10 11 you need a bit of fun as well so um, i played uh, i played soccer with with uh with my friends in the local club and then i moved to ireland when i was 12 uh, again for the, the third time and um and i started playing soccer here as well in in in, in dublin and, uh, at the same time, my, my dad said, ah, oh, do you want to go to, to bike race as a underage bike race in the boot in, 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 beside the airport? I said, yeah, sure. And I liked that. Uh, it was the last race of the season. So I said, all right, call Santi and ask him for a bike for, for next year. So I got my bike for, 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 for the, pre, for the next year and, um, and kind of played a little bit less soccer, a bit more cycling. And then from there on, my parents decided that. Most likely, we're going to stay in Ireland for longer. So I went to blackrock College then for that year. And then I had to give up soccer and I played rugby instead. And from, from there, I was like rugby about five days a week and cycling about two days a week. Most days, I would actually do both. For example, on Wednesdays, I'd have training uh, after school, but also I'd go in the evening uh, and do a couple of hours on the bike too. So they were they were full on. Uh, until I tore my crucius ligament, uh, which also happened to be the moment where my parents eventually decided that we're not going to stay in Ireland and went back to France. And when I moved back to France injured, um, the rehab was basically just cycling. So I quit all other sports and just went really into cycling and I got a lot better at cycling. And then that was it. Then I stuck to cycling from, from there onwards. But one of the other sports that I always say where I felt that I probably had it, was rugby. Although I only played one year, uh, I picked it up really, really fast and absolutely fell in love with the sport. And still today, like last week, I went to see uh, the Leinster match here and I was going to go again now Saturday. But uh, with all these new restrictions and whatever, I just thought I'd play it safe.
0: And what position did you play in rugby?
1: I played uh, left wing.
0: OK, so it was kind of suited to cycling. You weren't going to play as a forward.
1: No, 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 no. I, was, I needed to be uh, fast on my feet and and stay upright as much as I could. <laughs>
0: and while you were playing rugby and cycling, were you a good student at school?
1: I was, uh, but obviously sport was taking a big chunk of my life. Uh, I actually, uh, when I moved to France, actually got a little bit better when rugby was wasn't as dominant, and I only had to focus on cycling and school. But but there were a couple of years where where it was tough. Uh, and it was a lot of hard work between school, rugby and cycling. But, but like I said, those two years, I was two, three years, I was in Ireland was, I was a good student, but could do better. And then when I went to France, France, the first year was a disaster because I went from, you know, going from French school to Blackrock to French school, to English school in, sorry, Anglo American school in France. It was just like a disaster. I didn't know what language to speak. And even today, but, but the first year I got to France was tough. And then after that, I got straight away back into into the rhythm. And the last two, three years of my, my scholarship, then I was I was pretty good to the point where it was hard to make a decision because I actually became a pretty good student in the last years of my my career. My dad did not want me to, to stop studying to go and try cycling.
0: Yeah. How did you have that conversation with your dad about, you know, moving forward with your cycling career as opposed to a traditional career that some of the rest of us might have had away from professional sport?
1: Well, he wasn't quite happy when I told him I was uh, I was going to pull out uh, of school and not go to university. Um, he wanted me to go at least uh, two years, um, but for me, it was it was like no. It was like I feel like I can turn pro next year, and we eventually made some kind of a deal because we we looked at different options with school and and the problem with cycling, it, it was just so much time away. So I was like, oh, I would do something online or really. Um, or something very, very specific, but I couldn't go to to whatever university because I'd be missing out every Friday or every Monday coming back from a race. So um, I said, all right, I'll take a year off and I promise you I'll be pro at the end of the year. And if I'm not, I'll go back to school.
0: That was a big uh, promise to make, wasn't it?
1: It was a big promise because I basically just had one shot. Uh, looking back, I think that uh, I would have been supported uh, one more year because I was still very young. But anyway, I, I think, you know, Looking back, I have no regrets. It was it was part of the the, the challenge. And, you know, I, I was confident enough that I had what it took to to, to make it in the Pro Ranks.
0: And what was it like cycling in Ireland as a youth rider under 18 versus cycling in France? Was it very different?
1: Well, on, under 18, I've, I've only done just the, the junior tour, basically, because uh, I was already based in France since I was 15. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, I always remember the first time I came back to Ireland, I, I was just... I had a massive fight with with the federation uh, just because uh, I was racing in France. I had won most of the races in France and I wanted to ride the junior tour uh, with the Irish national team. So I called the coach at the time and I said, "Uh, I want to ride with the national team to junior tour. And they says, ah, uh, well, you're not racing in Ireland and we don't know how good you are. I says, yeah, but I'm winning everybody race in France. I'm good enough to be on the national team. I said, "Ah, we won't take you. So they didn't take me. And I came, with, a, I came with, a, with, with two friends to to help me out. And I finished fourth overall, beating most of the Irish guys. So I was kind of proud of myself. The year after, obviously, they called me and said, Anik, are you doing it on the Irish team? I said, nope. And I'm coming with the same two friends and I'm going to win it. <laughs> and I came back and won two stages, won the mountains jersey, I think maybe the points jersey and then the overall. So, But that was the thing. It, it, it was never made easy.
0: And what was the catalyst then to deciding to pursue a professional career in cycling? You obviously had had some great results um, as a young rider. So, what was the final decision to make that jump into the pro ranks?
1: Well, obviously, when when a team gives you a pro contract, you know, it's not you. don't decide to be pro; somebody else decides for you. You you decide to give it a chance, and you know, after a couple of months, uh, and that last or second year under 23 confidence asked me to go and do a training camp with them then they gave me a stagiaire's job and then i finished actually even 10th on one of my um first months in in the professional rank and they signed i signed a contract that evening
0: and you know when you um turned pro uh was there a big expectation that and i'm sure this question has been asked a million times but that you would follow in your father's footsteps and go try and um emulate what he had done for cycling in ireland
1: well, uh, not only in Ireland, um, everywhere, and but, but that, was, that was always going to be clear, regardless of whatever I did. And you know what I realized as a young age, when I played rugby, I was always Stephen Rocherson. When I ran, I was Stephen Rocherson when I played. So it had nothing to do with with just cycling on its own. In, in cycling, the only thing is, uh, as a kid, when I was good, it was because of my dad, not because of me. And then as a professional, uh, it was hard because they, my dad was good young and they, I was good but I was good for my age, but I wasn't a superstar. So it was like, yeah, I was a promising young professional, but I wasn't dominating the world uh, professional racing after one or two years like my dad did. So obviously it was uh, very easy to to disappoint and not reach the expectations because everyone saw, ah, he's good. He's going to be definitely as good as his dad, but, but, but no.
0: Okay, so how do you deal with that then? You get on with it. That's it, you just get on with it?
1: if I wasn't capable of dealing it, I would have gone to an office job. So okay. once I make the decision of riding a bike, I got to get on with it.
0: And then lining up for your very first professional race, take me back to that day and what that felt like. No idea. I can't remember.
1: Oh, no, that's 1,300 races ago.
0: 1,300 races.
1: Yeah. I've done 1,280 pro races.
0: That's incredible.
1: Yeah.
0: And do you, do you get nervous? Do you get nervous before a race?
1: Yeah, the odd time.
0: And how, how do you deal with those nerves? Like, have you particular things to deal with them? Have you mantras or particular routines that would help you to release some of the nervous energy?
1: No, music. And it's part of the job. You just, you just if you if you want to make it to pro level, this is what it takes. You need to be able to cope with stress. And I know today it's, it's, it's a real modern thing because I've had a lot of discussions with the teams today where I was brought up, Uh, in a very very competitive environment always and 10 years ago there was no such thing as not being hard on someone so I was always push 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 today in teams they're kind of changing a little bit the strategies and it's more about making them feel good and giving a tap on the shoulder where that drives me nuts Uh, and I've had quite some arguments with some of my managers last year in in the in the team for example where the, the, the management techniques are obviously a lot more, you know, friendlier and, and softer and then not pushing some of the guys. But if you want to get 100 percent, you also you can't always say it's good. You progress because at some point, you know, you're actually lying to yourself because, you know, at the end of the year, you don't want to keep him where you want to push the guy and make them work on the stress. Uh, well, anyway, that was how I was brought up. And when I was a kid, I was always we just had to perform and that was it. If you want to be a team leader, you just have to It's part of the job. Team leader means having the stress of the team, having the stress of to perform, having responsibilities. Where today you can be, you're not a team leader anymore. You're just like the strongest rider. And your personality doesn't have to cope with having the responsibilities and whatever. And you see some of the riders, they they have breakdowns, but I'm I'm kind of saying, like, you know, but you wake up, take, you know, <laughs> but that was my personality. And that's maybe why I lasted so long and why I wanted to go forward, because I, I performed under pressure and I felt that if I, if I didn't have the pressure to perform. I would never give as much by telling me, ah, oh, Nico, give it your best. No, it had to be Nico. Go for it.
0: And do you think our riders gone soft? Like, do you think as a generation coming up behind us that they're gone soft as well, that we've mollycoddled them? There's instant gratification. There's.
1: I don't think gone soft is the correct word because it still is a very, very difficult job. You still have to put the hours. You still have to be extremely focused more than ever. The sacrifices are more than ever. It's just the psychological side of things is softer. But just, but they're not gone soft. You still have to get the work done, the, the pressure is there. You have a lot to, you know, to feedback every single day. There's so many different platforms. You have to put the hours of sleep, what you ate, what you drank. Um it's a lot more complex than just training. So there's more external pressure than than a couple of years back, for example. But but I feel it's just the that the, the, the um, psychological side or the the management of their person, you just can't tell someone to come on, wake up, like get together. You know, it's like you you'd you'd almost offend them. It's like oh no, like you have to be a bit more careful. But I think that's generally speaking in today's society, in every job before you you get you know whipping the bottom, and it's like come on, like wake up. Where, where today you can't do that; they'll sue you for put for for harassment or whatever so you you can't even say the word bottom
0: nico you can't even say the word bottom now
1: no exactly yeah you get sued for sexual harassment so i was like right so you know (laughs) uh it's like the other day i was in an interview with 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 rte and and the thing was about uh and i said oh yeah i do that when you know when i'm drunk at a friend's wedding it's like oh no, 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 no 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 just say late at night i was like okay okay fair enough but whatever but But it's just you have to be extremely careful in whatever you say, you know,
0: 100 percent. And everything that goes out on social or out on media is there for for life. Everything that's written or said or spoken is there for life. And coming back to a more serious question, how do you define success?
1: Well, success is quite um, personal. Um, There's two ways of success is or you see it with a performance and recognition from others um, or it's more relative and it's achieving your own goals. Uh, in cycling, unfortunately, you need both. <laughs> uh, to be a successful cyclist, you also need to perform for the others, but also reach your own goals and set your own goals high. It's a very relative um, word because, you know, for, for, for some people, a success is having a five-year career. Some others is winning five-tour France.
0: And in terms of your own success... How much of it do you think has come down to natural talent, hard work, discipline and obviously the ability to suffer?
1: Well, I was someone who was very, very dedicated to, to my job and I made uh, a lot of sacrifices and I was definitely talented uh, to start with. But it was about uh, the hard work. Uh, and yes, you know, a lot of people think oh, yeah, you're, you're, you're talented, but, you know, what made me stay there for the years was was the work, and I had a reputation of someone who was just work, 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 work. Um, but but you you need a bit of both to be to be successful.
0: And what is it about cycling that you love? Very simple question.
1: It's it's a very simple question, but it's also a complex question because I just like cycling, and, and you know, cycling brought brought me an incredible experience, but not only as a sportsman, as an athlete, but also as a human. You know, I've traveled in some of the most remote places in Ivory Coast or in Asia and, you know, seen kids with machine guns and um, and also slept in some six-star hotels that I could not afford going to on a holiday. So it's brought me like a huge amount of um, of life experience and, and I've seen things, been in places and some some like breathtaking uh, areas in on, on the planet. I've traveled the world. I don't know how many times that I would not have done if i had a different job but also when you're without the traveling bit when you when you're in a team and you're sitting at the dinner table you could have six seven different nationalities and it's it g- gives you great social skills because you have to you know you have to be tolerant you have to understand you have to adapt um not also be tolerant with other cultures and 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 means and and it's everyone needs to 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 give in a little bit so it, it's quite a journey on the sporting side, you know cycling for me was was freedom it reminds me you know when 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 there wasn't as much traffic as, as today to get out of the house i took a bike and wasn't depending on my parents to go and pick me up at my friend's place uh, after school parties or whatever it was like i could take my bike and do what i wanted and go where i wanted so that was freedom and still today when i go on the bike it, it's i need it like my body just asked me to go on the bike i don't have to go and do 2 hours in the Wicklow when it's half snowing today but this morning, my body was saying, I, ju- "I just need to go." And if it's just two hours, it's two hours. If it's the other day, I did five, and I was, I just felt I had the time in the day, and I was like, "I just wanted to go and continue and just get it all out." I got home when I went for two hours' sleep. I was knackered. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't done five hours since since the nationals, and that, and and those that was four hours. So it might have been two months, but but I, it's just my body just asked for it. But also in the racing, the adrenaline, the pressure, the the wanting to perform to. Be the best, and or trying to be the best because I was never the best, but I was trying to be the best. And it's just a combination of everything.
0: You say you weren't the best, but you were trying to be the best, but you still had an incredible career and some amazing results. If I could ask you to pick the highlight of your career or the results you're most proud of, maybe they're the same or maybe they're different. What what would they be?
1: I would say the Vuelta 2013, that was that was a complete um success. Looking back, it was also. In my opinion, um, a real pity because I, I should have podiumed. But, so looking back, it's like ah, that was my chance of a podium, and I didn't make it happen. But on the other hand, it, it was it was the most exciting three weeks of of my life. Take, taking uh, the the win on stage one, uh, the jersey uh, a week later, and finally finishing fifth in 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 Madrid uh going through you know I've been lead, leading I was almost every single day in a different uh jersey from the points from the the white jersey and which is the combiné jersey not the young riders jersey and the the green jersey I wore the red jersey stage whatever it, it was just it was good and, and I enjoyed it. It was hard racing. I was racing with my heart had a strong team with me. Uh so I, I think that as a whole is is an amazing memory.
0: And would that be the result you're most proud of as well? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Um, and, and listening to you now, you can just feel the passion for the sport that you have, whether it's, go, you know, you talk about your team, you talk about the the culture, you talk about the people that you've met. You know, I want to ask you just a quick question about the teams. You went from te- different teams for different reasons and there was a variety of teams over your career. Was it difficult to to settle into a new team every time? Was it hard to embrace the different types of team culture or meet the new people? Like, Because I imagine that's a very difficult part of your job as well, that you're moving between teams, you're working with different people, getting to know different personalities. You might have been competing against them in a race the previous year. Now they're your teammates that you're riding with. Is, is that a difficult part of, of the job?
1: I found the most difficult part is making, is making people understand you. Um, I was brought up international school. I left. I lived a little bit everywhere. So um, for me, it was always easy to to get on with someone at at like first instinct, where with the hard bit was it doesn't always work that way on on the receiving side. And for me, the hard bit was making people understand my personality because it's quite complex. I could, could be very, very strict, have a cold sense of humor, but I could also be very outgoing uh, and it's ups and down because I'm very passionate about what I do in the good and the bad um, and because I have this passion in me it also creates frustration sometimes I react in a different way to frustration uh, or to not performing the way I wanted when I kind of gets in me so the difficult bit was not always me fitting in it was about how do I make the others understand how I am
0: okay so how did you go about that then
1: time yeah, time. You just you just also have to talk and explain and and, uh, and you know and, and so it's about uh, you know respect and it's um, I, I've been always very sharp in my comments and, and sometimes people are offended and you know it's just you just have to make them understand that it's is not an offence. It's literally speaking, what I'm saying is maybe I'm not you know I'm not a politician, so when I go to straight to the point is straight to the point and sometimes it can hurt, but it's for my good, for his good or whatever. And it's just about making sure that he understands that what I say, it's a comment to move on and it's not against the person itself. Uh, You know, I'm talking about, you know, if something goes wrong in a race or whatever and I'd be giving out, that it's not personal. It's about growing as a team and going, especially when I was a road captain, had to make, I was fighting all the time because with myself, my own frustration with others, but it's about putting a point Sometimes I was very hard on my point. And like I said, now you have to be very, very careful what, what you say and how you say it. But if you say something hard and afterwards you give him a tap on the shoulder and make sure he understands that it wasn't against him, it's, it's against what happened during the race and that scenario so we don't repeat it the next time and make him understand that you like him as a guy. It's just whatever happened during the race is a very, very set example and is not a generality. So it's all these are the things that you have to learn to manage. When I was younger, uh, obviously, uh, I got myself many times in trouble and I had to learn to manage that over the years. I was one of the, the older me.
0: And was the leadership role something that you enjoyed and the team captain role?
1: So leadership role was something I I really enjoyed. Uh, the road captain as well. Uh, there were very there were different moments in my career, but um, I, I enjoyed one as, as much as the other.
0: I want to come back to um to something you mentioned just a minute ago, and I meant to jump into on it, but it was you mentioned having travelled the world. Where is your favourite place in the world at the moment, or where is the most favourite place that you've been that you'd love to go back to?
1: It's a difficult one. Um, it's a difficult one to be honest. I I couldn't pick one. You know, like for example, like the other days I was here in the Wicklow Mountains, and I just feel like I'm I'm alive. And you just feel some kind of power from from the Wicklows and the wind is there and it's cold and your cheeks are burning and you feel like it's just like, ah, just the energy. But then I like Caldez just out of Monaco and and the view is, you can see like 300 kilometers down the coast one way towards France and you can see 300 kilometers the coast the other way towards Italy. And it's a much milder weather and the view is just stunning and it's a sea view. So I can go from, you know, the wilderness of the Wicklows to the kind of, nice gradual climb uh on the monaco hills so um, i appreciate every like a lot of places for for different reasons i don't i cannot really really pick up say all right i want to go back to here because i fell in love with that place no i fell in love with a lot of places during my career
0: it's one of the things i guess as a as a professional writer that you get the privilege to be able to travel around the world doing what you absolutely love
1: yeah, totally. Uh, that that was one of the, the the greatest thing about this job, especially when when cycling became global, and you know, it took me in, in, into China, to, to to Malaysia, Japan, Ivory Coast, Africa. Uh, where else did it take me? Mainly everywhere around Europe, Brazil, um, America, Canada. So it's kind of quite some countries, right?
0: All, all pre COVID, thankfully.
1: Yeah, all pre COVID, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, Um, Japan Japan this year
0: with the Olympics. Oh, yes, obviously. Yeah. Sorry, I forgot about that. How could I forget? I mean, four-time Olympian, isn't it?
1: Yeah.
0: It's not a part of your career that's spoken about an awful lot, yet you are a four-time Olympian. Everyone seems to focus on the tours and the success that you've had in in racing as part of the teams, but um, it's quite interesting how we focus a lot on Olympians in Ireland across different sports, but it doesn't seem to come up an awful lot for you, Nico in my personal opinion now
1: no you're right and and actually uh, i think it's it's um it's one one of the reasons why i actually put it on today on my instagram well i mean today a couple of weeks ago when i retired on my on my profile because i think um it is something if i put i oh, had yeah, 24 grand tours or whatever it is it, it, it speaks to some but not to everybody where i think four times olympian um th- you know there's, there's two ways of seeing the, Olymp- the olympics uh today you can be proud to go to the Olympics but I didn't get a medal or or which is another step you know so it's like some people's like oh you've been to the Olympics it's huge and, and yes it is in the world of cycling I'm also disappointed because I never performed there at the highest level I think my best result was 25th or 26th uh, in Rio and the Olympics never went really well for me I was there I competed it I finished them all okay this year I worked for for Dan to give him a proper chance. Uh, we thought that, you know, that was our kind of last ride and we just go for it. And it was only fair. It was in better shape that I would, I would commit to, to him and and to, and to Eddie Dunbar. So, but, but the Olympics is not something that, you know, I don't know, that never really came out. So, but also thought it was like, yeah, but how many actually athletes have done for Olympics? So, um, I mean, getting medals. Yeah. It's great. Houston, Bolt and Phelps and Billy and whatever, but they're the superstars of global sport. But how many actually athletes, even in smaller countries, have gone to four Olympics? Because that's also a sign of longevity. Uh, you need to go through all these, these years of uh, professionalism, of sacrifice and hard work to get there.
0: And we see how much it takes from uh, an athlete to go to the Olympics once, never mind go four times. Can I ask you about the, the lowest point in your career? We've spoken about the highlights and, and your performance that you're most proud of. But what was the lowest point in your career?
1: Well, undoubtedly 2018, that was a kind of a year to forget, although the last couple of months were, were much better, but uh, let's say that the whole spring campaign and fighting with the team and, and everything, uh, uh, it was like six months of nightmare.
0: And if it's okay to ask you, was that the time when you were going through your divorce as well? Was that affecting your yeah. performance? And
1: yeah, Yeah, I wasn't sleeping at night, yeah.
0: Yeah, it must have been a huge roller coaster for you having to keep up this uh, persona in public yet have all this personal turmoil behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, and I was trying to keep it uh, as much quiet as possible. Maybe now I'm regretting because I should have made it public And but I was trying not to find excuses for myself. I thought I was stronger than than everything and I had been through, through spit ups and separations before with, you know, ex-relationships but this was a divorce. I had this this feeling of, you know, losing my house after not even a year. I had only slept, I think, not even two months in it. I felt, you know, this kind of injustice, frustration, and that was kind of eating me in.
0: Yeah, I, ca- I can't imagine how difficult that was uh, for you. How do you pick yourself back up from something like that, Nico? From uh, something that's affecting you in your personal life, or maybe something like an injury or a DNF after a race that really affects you uh, emotionally and mentally? And Potentially physically as well. You know, how do you pick yourself back up off the ground and get on with life again?
1: Well, it's it's there's no choice, and you know some people have easier recoveries than others, but it's it's the process of of saying that it's going to get better. Uh, and for some, it takes weeks; for some, it takes months. So some it takes years, but it's about getting the mindset of saying this is not who I am. This is not what I want to be. I got to pick myself up. There's nothing I go, I can do about it. The house gone, the divorce gone, The whatever the injury is behind me, whatever the, the, the problem is. And it's about saying, well, now I can't do anything. There's no point of me just digging my grave. I just need to get up and, and, and go for it, which is easier said than done. Um, I had to go through counseling. Uh, it wasn't easy. Lucky enough, I had at that time, uh, I needed my friends and family and, and they were all there for me um and they were they were always believing that I could make it back at the top level so they pushed me they helped me i went on training camps with some of my good friends not even cyclists just friends that were that were willing to take weekends off to go with me in the alps and spend time with me in the alps and just helped me to get back on track and uh, i've always been very grateful for those 6 7 months i was having a hard time to the people who were close to me because once in my life i really needed them and and they were there and i think that's very important and i consider myself lucky because you know i can i can relate to people who are alone or, or or in a really dark zone and and isolated it's harder again um i was lucky enough that that around me people still believed in me and really pushed me because you know some people when i was looking for teams they were telling me oh you're i was 34 at the time I oh, you're 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 old you're you're finished you know and i was like no 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 and because i never said about the divorce and my brother's cancer because they were together <laughs> oh. uh, and it was all about yeah the the second uh, cancer of my my brother and it was uh, it was just like you know because i, I kind of never really talked about it um everyone was saying ah oh, he's, he's just done that's it he's done his career and he's done 14 years or whatever it was so that was that was already long enough career but but i also had this thing i was saying no 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 it's just and you just need to get my head right and and believe me i'll i'll come back i just need a fresh start
0: Two things you say there uh, that strike a chord are the importance of your support group away from your team and your cycling life, that you had your friends and family that could come to your aid to support you when you when you needed them and that you were willing to fight to come back to prove that you weren't done, like that you had the, the guts and the wherewithal to actually say, no, guys, I am coming back and I will be back on top. You know, that's not something that's taken for granted uh, or that's easy for a lot of people to do.
1: No, it's not, and and once again, I think part of my kind of survivor mentality. And uh, two thousand seventeen was was most likely one of my my great years, and and two thousand eighteen is my worst year. And and I was just dying to prove to people that that no, I wasn't finished, uh, and no, it wasn't that I had burned myself in seventeen and that was it. I was done. It was like I had my issues in my personal life. And I just had to to get back together and go for it because it wasn't about training. I was training. And when I was training, I could perform at a really high level training. It's just when I went to a race, I was just not capable of going deep enough. Like I would literally blow before I blow, if you know what I mean? Like, and, and the Giro, when I had that, that anxiety attack and I had to stop cycling and I sat on the wall crying, it was just, it was just too much for me, but it wasn't physical. It was just, it was just a mental issue.
0: Uh, stress and pressure and did you ever get homesick when you were away, or did you ever get lonely? I know you have a team, but like they're your competitors and your comrades. but did you is it lonely? Like is that an area of something that we never really see because all we see is the the glamour of the professional rider doing well in his career?
1: I guess lonely. I guess lonely. you have you have very lonely bits. Uh, you know, for example, uh, altitude camps uh, they're they're tough., uh, you're in isolation, it's long. It's very, very intense. You're usually trying to kind of you know work on the weight as well so you're you're usually a little bit under fueling and it's this kind of bad mood kind of thing and, and and they're tough they're hard and um for me the most difficult points were with those really long altitude camps sometimes you you would feel a little bit lonely especially if there it's also like a lot smaller group uh, and obviously it's it's easier when you have a friend you can bond with and sometimes you you're your your companions but you're not that intimate with them uh, and it makes things a little bit harder but um but no you know it, it's it's not uh, it's not always easy you know I've, I've also done training camps on my own and in, in isolation for for two weeks uh just because there were extra camps to the team for for my own preparation and uh, sometimes i'd have a friend that would that would come up just for the weekend take the weekend well maybe take the friday off and come for for three or four days just for company uh to break it up for me but but it's it's not always easy it's a lot of time alone
0: you, you mentioned about food there at uh, the altitude camps was there always constant pressure regarding food choices and and weight and when you let loose what would you choose in terms of food and drinks
1: well, um, I don't know if I should say that on a podcast, but when I had to choose between dessert or a couple of glass of wine, I would always choose a couple of glass of wine, just because you know I, I just felt that it was like the satisfaction that it gave me was better than than chocolate. Uh, and I could, you know, when I even at training camp today, where we did we do five or six hours uh, in the evening, I I'd treat myself with a with a glass of wine um, just going before going back to the room, and I was like, okay, my satisfaction.
0: But it's all about balance, though. Even it's at the top level balance. of professional racing. Yeah. I want to come back and ask you very quickly: what was your favourite training session, and what was your least favourite training session when you were out on the bike?
1: Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know because you're the recovery ride. Is <laughs> <No. laughs> that the cake spin? Yeah, we'd get on cake. well together. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The case, uh, that's great because it's a social one. You, the one you have a laugh and have it. No, you know, it all depends on, on the mood. I find, you know, that there are, there are days where you just, it doesn't matter how hard the training is or how intense the training is. And uh, you, you just want to go for it and just break the bike basically. And there's other days where you, you're, you know, for example, a long easy ride that the, the fat burning ride, the six, seven hour rides, um, sometimes when, when you do them alone and you're in there the sixth hour and it just feels like hell and you're just dying to go home and you're starting to be grumpy and tired. And then there's other days at training camp and you do the seven hour ride and you're with your friends and you're chatting and talking about racing and whatever other stuff you can talk about with them. And, and the time flies past and you're having a great crack and you actually come home, you, you did a really, really good training spin, but it, did, it kind of flew by. And there's other days where you're a little bit tired and you need to do the intervals and you're just not hitting those watts and it becomes a nightmare more than a training session so um, the mood really affects what type of i don't have I like to do intervals or this or that it's like depends on the mood and how the training one every training is very very special and and has its own goods and bads there's days i could go on the whole day on the bike and and not feel any lassitude and there's days after two hours like i want to go home now (laughs)
0: <laughs> and how important was the relationship with your coach or your coaches throughout your career in terms of managing your training and making sure that you were getting the best from your body and the best from your performance and your talent?
1: Well, that's been, um, it's been, you know, that this relationship with coach or, or like any relationship, there's up and downs, people you get on with better than others. Uh, coaches have become friends. Coaches I've never heard of again. Um, that there's, a, that it, it's a mixed relationship. And and like I said, sometimes you you bond better than 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 with other people. So you know, there's also two different ways of seeing a coach. Is there's, uh, you know, you're same as before. You have to dissociate uh, uh, work and, and the person. And sometimes, as a, as a coach, that, that the relationship might not be great, but you actually appreciate the the person. Uh, and sometimes the opposite, maybe you have no relationship uh, outside of the coaching, but the coaching is really professional and uh, and it clicks and it works. So it's it's a bit like everything. There's always there's always a balance. Uh, and like I said, I've I've coaches from from back when I was Saxo Bank uh that the, you know we text once a month see how things are and um i go down to see him once a year in in, in luca and uh, and and we still have a great relationship of some other coaches that i've never heard of ever after again
0: can i ask you a question that probably is going to sound really stupid to you um how much analysis goes on after each race and just how important are the numbers and the number crunching after a race? Like, do you watch back the races and go through all the data? Now, it's probably a real stupid question, but like what level of, I suppose, analysis goes into each race and each performance?
1: Um, on my side, I'm not crazy about it, but I'll look at it. Well, DSM have a data analysis that is, that's his job. And he does that to break it up for the coach. So more than the coach, there's a guy whose job is just to go through data, go through data, go through data, and then comes up with the feedback. And then the coach analyzes a more simplified version and then works on the training. But there are there are in DSM as a data analyst. So, so very seriously.
0: Coming back to talking to you about a, being a leader. Uh, and a leader in your career and in sport and most definitely a leader and inspiration in the sport of cycling there's lots of young riders and indeed more experienced riders have been motivated by your success how important is it for you now to give back to your community and to help develop cycling and nurture young talent coming through in ireland
1: well i've uh, i'm keeping a close relationship with uh with a lot of people in, in, in cycling Ireland and, um, you know, with with Tommy Evans, for example, uh, and he's asked me if, if I was ready to give a hand to the under 23s this year, and I would commit to some of the races and and try and help as much as I can. Also, like I said, with, with Trinity sport management, which, uh, which has a couple of Irish guys in the team, um, I'll be, I'll be with the young guys and, and kind of helping out as much as, as possible and giving back.
0: And do you see yourself going down a coaching route in the future? Like, is that something that you'd be fairly interested in or would you prefer to stay on the business side of, of cycling?
1: I don't think I'd be made for, for coaching uh, just because today um, I I would, I would be a great coach uh, for someone who is not trying to be, or someone who is trying to be professional or, or cycling, but to be, coaching in a professional team you you have to be an it guy not not a coach anymore so i would come up and i would make you i, I would train you the way i trained um with what my own experience but today uh, it's not about uh just giving exercises it's about like i said all this data analysis and uh, algorithms and it's it job it's not the coaches today have changed completely there's very very few ex-professionals who are coaches like before uh, that's not good enough anymore. now you you need all these it guys uh, and it's all about algorithms studying TSS uh, intensity scores and and that's the way to calculate form where, where for me i was I would give you know a three month program and we'd work on it and we'd update it every week or every two days if you needed to. but it will still be relative to some kind of a feeling. I wouldn't go and study algorithms.
0: That's interesting that you mentioned uh, feeling rather than data.
1: Well, you need both. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and, and like I said to you, I've I've always spent a lot of time looking at my own data. You need both, but now it's an excess of algorithms.
0: <laughs> yeah, you almost need a degree in you know dealing with some of the data. There's probably will but be you cycling. Do.
1: Yeah, you yeah. Do and there is a degree now. Uh, you to be to be a coach, you need, you need to go through all the these techniques. Yeah,
0: more and more people are taking up the sport of cycling here and abroad what would you say to someone looking to get into the sport of cycling with aspirations to becoming the next great Irish rider?
1: How old is he? Just general. <laughs> general. Uh, Take it back to
0: your own age group when you started out.
1: It's a tough one because, because once again, I mean, you know, today, and, and that's one of the conversations I had with, with Tommy Evans to go back to that, who was in charge of all the young riders today. And, you know, he was once again saying, ah. Oh, we don't want to push the guys too much to go abroad and this and that. But unfortunately, when you are in Ireland, you don't have a choice. Uh, and, and even with the UK, like it's the same. You need to travel abroad. You need to go to the continent. And, and it's a hard step. And it's the same as like, oh, yeah, but your, the kids, they get homesick. Said so, Yeah, but if they get homesick after a couple of weeks on the road, they just cannot go through a career. So there's no point dreaming of being professional if you miss your mommy after two weeks on the road. Uh, And as hard as it sounds, it's the same. And and that was me. Maybe I'm too hard and that's why I won't go into coaching. But this overprotective side that's come today in in the business, for me, it doesn't, is not, is not to date uh, because you see riders who are turning pro at 19. So at 19, if you're afraid to go on the continent, to go and give it a try, well, there's no business in professional cycling for you. It's better to try something else and not lose time unfortunately there's no point chasing dreams and you see a lot of riders are 25 26 and of going to abroad in the summer trying it a month or two but it's just too late now unless mm-hmm. you want to do it for the crack which is great because it gives you the same experience and you're traveling you're with the mates you're living the cycling life but today if you want to make it as a professional cyclist you have to be ready at a very young age but ready as in everything as in ready to go abroad to make the sacrifices and, and there's no holding back and 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 you just have to hope that you're good enough and strong enough to last through the years or else it's just not going to work
0: there's a huge amount of maturity required at that age to go forward
1: maturity and also ready to take the risk
0: mm.
1: because for example that year i took off work to or studying to go and try and turn professional um i could have missed out on university i could have missed out on many other things and job opportunities so it, it's it's a gamble you have to take and you have to believe in yourself and, and and try it and not have any regrets about it. But it's something you need to plan. You can't just invent it. And, you know, when you feel you're, you're getting to the level where obviously you need to be dominating the races in Ireland, if you're not already dominating the races in Ireland, there's no point going abroad. And that should be the, the start. There's no point putting a dream in your head and, uh, and thinking that maybe it's like start winning in Ireland, start hammering everybody here on your local club and then make it by steps. But there's no point dreaming big or that big uh, because you're you're only living with an illusion.
0: Taking it away from the competitive sport, Nico, you know, we see there is a big, huge cycling boom, not only in Ireland, but across the world. But what can we do to encourage more people to get on their bikes? And where do you see the future of cycling in Ireland generally?
1: Well, cycling in Ireland is, is, is growing and, and is growing for the last decade. Uh, and today, you know, um, cycling you know i I think you know the bike to work is something that is also uh, an extra step into the world of of cycling people now are are conscious about energy saving about the planet going green they've got an e-bike because they want to try it and then suddenly they like it so they get a normal bike for the weekend could be a mountain bike a gravel bike or road bike whatever it is but that's 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 the way to go and and um and i and i think you know even with with, with uh with covid when you had a 2k rages or 5k in ireland for for a bit and the same people just said all right you know running is very traumatizing you know if you start you over overdo it sore ankles sore knees and the tendons are sore and lower back and that's my own personal experience when i go for a run but cycling is less traumatizing you see it you can go further when you run for 30 minutes you're only going around the block uh, when you cycle for an hour you go a little bit further see a bit more things uh, and now with an e-bike, you can, there's no limits to where you can go. You just have to decide how much uh, pain you want to inflict yourself, basically. So I think, you know, uh, uh, as a general rule with the technology of the e-bike, um, the kind of green conscience, energy conscience uh, and bike to work and all that, that that's, that's, that's already going forward. There's not much more you can add to that. That's already a massive step at the moment That is that is going ahead.
0: And I think there's a big interest as well in going off road because there's so much traffic on the road now versus when maybe you were younger riding in Ireland, that there's a lot of people taking up mountain biking or gravel bike. And I was announcing a cyclocross race for the very first time in Westport. It was absolutely, it was brilliant. And on days where maybe you might want to go out on your road bike because it's icy or it's wet, you know, going out on a gravel bike or a mountain bike or doing a bit of cyclocross is uh, is a great alternative. I am conscious that I have been talking to you for almost an hour, but we did have a huge huge amount of audience questions so I'm going to do a rapid fire round of audience questions with you Nico if that's okay John Kniff asks describe your best career day where everything clicked
1: 2011 uh when I won the stage in Beijing
0: Uh, my mom Joan asks how did you have the time or energy to write those articles in the Irish Independent after a hard day's racing oh and when are you coming to Galway to visit she has the kettle on
1: I love Galway. Uh, I I go quite a lot to to Salt Hill. uh, Just after Salt Hill, there's a restaurant called O'Grady's on the Pier. I just love it there. Nico, Um, I live
0: around the corner from O'Grady's on the Pier. We have to arrange a cycling date.
1: So they they, they don't know I love it, but but I've been there at least six or seven (laughs) times in the last five years. It's one of my go-to-go places. I I just love to escape down there and I I make myself uh, very discreet. Do you know what? The, the diary was a very, very big chunk of my career. I, I loved the diary. It, re, it united me with the Irish public. It was something that was just initially because then it went online and everything and more people could could subscribe to it. but initially it was just me and Ireland. and, and I love to have that relationship. Uh, and you know what? it was it was a therapy. Uh, and you know my, my first articles in the diary were very, very fiery. Because I just literally got in the bus and and while the others were showering, I would just boom, do my, my diary and then go and shower. And it was where afterwards I had to kind of learn to go for a shower first and then do the diaries. <laughs> but anyway, at the time, like I said, I got away with a lot of more things that I would have get away today. But it was my therapy. I was just like, okay, the day's done. I just need to let it all out.
0: And I guess it's a bit like journaling. It's a bit like what people are encouraged to do now is to write diaries and to journal their day to you know, set themselves up for success and, and you know, reflect on the day that they've had and, uh, you know, set up their goals for, for the day after. park Mari quickly mentions about uh, the changing lanes from being a classic sprinter type rider to a GC contender.
1: I guess 2008, I lost a bit of weight and I had an ulcer uh, just before the tour and uh, I lost that extra almost two kilos from from those five six days in hospital and when i recovered from that i felt that oh wow i'm, I'm actually like that two kilos i was like i'm actually climbing really really well and and then the volta 2012 where i was uh, 2008 sorry when i was 12th in my first kind of first go in, in a grand tour uh i said all right i, w- I want to focus on on grand tour mistake not mistake I don't know, looking back, it's like, oh, maybe should I have be been a classic rider or not because I, I had the physical capabilities of doing it. Um, but but mentally, I just I just love the, the stress of just every day going for it.
0: Do you thrive on stress? I do, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Paul Lafford on Twitter says, Nico did some testing with ESC Live, uh, eScooter Live recently. What was it like? It looks like deadly fun.
1: It's deadly fun. It, 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 I really, really love their project. Uh, their project. Approached me. I'm, I'm good friends with Bradley Smith, ex superbike driver and MotoGP driver. And when I announced my retirement, he he is developing the project, and he uh, he asked me if I'd been interested to go and give it a go. Uh, I love the idea. It's eco-friendly. That the chassis are aluminium, but the rest is from a vegetable. I can't I can't say carbon, but it's a vegetable material, so that they mould it together as like roots. So um, it, it's it's green. It's sports gender-friendly. We race with the the women. Uh, the women being lighter have an advantage because there's very little torque on the on the electric uh, scooters, so um, it, it's fun. You know, it, it's cross country background when we did the races. We had a snowboarder, BMX guy. Okay, the motorbike boys and women, and, and it was it's generally fun. It's really really fast. I like could go up to 100 k an hour so that's why we have the full uh, motorbike uh, protections but it's a project that i'm really backing i don't know if i'll do more racing but uh, i did the testing with them this this winter gave them a lot of feedback uh tried to help them with the promotion because i believe it's it's kind of one of the sports of the future
0: Brilliant. And Paul actually does say, enjoy the retirement, Nico. The races won't be the same without you. Emer McNichols, uh, you probably saw this on Twitter, asks, can he run and swim fast? And when are you planning to do your first Ironman? <laughs> now, Oliver Harkin also asked the same question because there's a couple of ex-pro cyclists have turned their yeah. hand to age group Ironman racing or the likes of Cameron Worth, who was a pro rider turns Ironman athlete. Mark Willoughby asked the same question. We had loads of them. So one, we know you can run. Yeah. We know you don't like swimming. But is there a triathlon in your future? No. Definitely not.
1: Never say never, but but it's not down the pipelines. It's not something... I I love triathlon and I appreciate the the dedication and the hard work in triathlon, but I I just wouldn't get over the swimming. Uh, Duathlon, maybe, but but triathlon, no. uh, The swimming, I I have this competitive edge and, and I just wouldn't be ready to go and put the effort to be good at swimming. Or better at swimming. It would probably so, frustrate
0: the hell out of you.
1: It does. And, I, and I've and tried it. Uh, when I did a rehab for my knee a couple of years ago, I had a lot of swimming. And um, not, not that I overdosed it, but it was like, no, this is just, there's a lot of other sports where I can say, all right, I'm handy at. Where, where swimming, it was just not clicking. And I was getting very frustrated with my breathing. And, and so triathlon, no, uh, I love the sport. Uh, actually, my shop in Cork is a triathlon store. So I'm very fond of triathlon, but but I will I will not participate in a triathlon. Not 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 in the pl- immediate plans anyway.
0: Okay, what about some long distance endurance racing? Seen as though you know you come from a multi-day, yes. three-week background.
1: Uh, but that, that is something I've uh, I've Ooh. thought of. I've thought of that. I've thought of gravel. I've thought of mountain bike. Um, I will also do Grand Fundos, but yeah, on, on a bike. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, well, maybe watch this space. There's lots of long distance, uh, multi-day endurance races cropping up all around the country. So I have a couple of questions from Robson Lindbergh, who was a previous guest of the podcast. He's um, He is an Ironman announcer with me, but he's based in Finland and he's had uh, a massive uh, brain injuries that he's recovering from. So his quick questions are, do you have any superstitions or routines before a race? No. Do you listen to music or something while on the turbo trainer? Always. What do you listen to?
1: Very mixed, depending on my hum, my humor. I could listen to upbeat, uh, like modern house, pop, something you'd re- put on the on the radio, or something a little bit more deeper house, just to get the motivation, just the beats, like gym gym exercise work. I could go into my 80s, 90s, 2000s um Reggaeton is. I get very. I get quickly bored of listening to the same type of music, so I, I need to change.
0: Brilliant. And then he also says, while chasing marginal gains, how much does the bike or equipment play a difference?
1: Well, today they they play a big, a big difference. That the, the thing is, all the teams are catching up in terms of bike and equipment. There is no slow bike today in a peloton. So, like everyone's worked on the marginal gains in terms of equipment, especially the bike, the tires, the tire pressure. There's so much study that goes into that, but but like I said, most teams now are, are up to date or as good as it can be.
0: Patrick Crean on Instagram asked, "Is there another book coming out?"
1: I hope so. Uh, it's something that uh, that I, that I want to do because I think it would be a much more mature book and a, and a more important book because the first book was great. It was my my introduction to the cycling world. My first few years starting to be a leader, where where the second part is is proper living the whole career and you know being in some of the best teams in the planet uh, i've just so many more stories to go through
0: brilliant and i'm sure there are plenty of stories to be told another one for you have you ever done the ross nope is that on the bucket list
1: it's on the bucket list yeah
0: Ooh, i'll do okay.
1: that with all the leaders but i'll wait to be vet uh, i don't want to do it now <laughs> i'll give myself <laughs> another year or two
0: uh dearman asks why did you aim for grand tour wins and not the classics like the parry roubaix
1: i didn't i was never attracted to the races yeah, I don't think I, I never even started a Bay in my whole career. I, I, I just it didn't do it for me. I watched it on TV and stuff, but it's just I didn't feel attracted to the race. I preferred the vibes of the Grand Tour.
0: Okay, Edora Helly says the best place to cycle around London other than Richmond Park. I don't know if that's something to do with Swift.
1: Yeah, <laughs> most likely.
0: <laughs> do you like those hills in London?
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's not so bad. <laughs>
0: three more questions and then i promise we're done what was the greatest piece of advice you ever received during your career
1: oh i got a lot of advice from my career the best piece well one of the things i guess uh it's, it's more when i was when i was racing it was about uh tory Schoff's. when i was a lead out man for him uh, i used to always always look back and he was like just never talk back my, my you do your job and my job is to be with you and that was something that i So probably the advice that I've used the most uh, to give to others during my career.
0: Who has had the biggest impact or influence on your career?
1: That's also a very difficult one.
0: Everyone struggles with that question.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, in some sports, you have like a mentor or whatever. I was never, uh, I was always very, I was a sports fan, but I never had one particular fan of. So I'd watch race and, and, and and during the race, that's, I, I would appreciate someone's performance but the next race I'd appreciate somebody else's performance I never took part in saying oh, I was a fan of whatever Ulrich or Pantani or whatever you can think of especially in those years so I never had a mentor um, I don't know It's it's. Um, I don't think one name particularly comes up the person who was capable of pushing the most out of me was Bjorn Reese. Uh he just he always intimidated me and when he was at a bike race, I always felt that I wanted to show him that I was worthy to be there. And and he was like the, the boss and you wanted to kind of impress the boss. And I felt that every race he, he was at, I always felt that I wanted to, to give that bit more to him.
0: And are you proud of everything you've achieved?
1: Yeah, and I also think I could have done better.
0: <laughs> but you're not going to always think you're going to do better anyway but like in terms of what you've achieved over a 17-year professional career it's amazing
1: yeah I'm, I'm you know like I said I'm happy with what I've done how I've done it it's always questionable how did I make the right choices at some point and you know my, my biggest uh, regret is not having won a stage in the tour um, is it due because I was chasing GC for a while and then went into helping others? And then when I actually had a chance to go for stages, I was already in the later years of my career. So I was always getting beaten by somebody else. But then it's the Tour de France, the hardest race on the planet. So it, it, and the breakaways that I were in were always the breakaways, what uh what my brother calls of champions. And and it's true, every breakaway I've been in the tour was never a breakaway by chance. It was always with the big guys. And obviously when you're always competing against the best of the best is, yeah, I got seconds, thirds, fifths and whatever, but it's just to get the win is, is not as easy as what it seems like.
0: <laughs> and my final question for you is how excited are you for the future and what are you most looking forward to?
1: Real retirement. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is that not a good few years away yet?
1: <laughs> That's a good few years away yet. But uh, two months into a cycling retirement, I'm 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 thinking of doing a comeback. It was easier. No, <laughs> uh, no, it's um, this, you know it's I'm at the stage where where the future scares me and excites me because everything is just totally new, um, and it's just about you know doing a full reset. And like I said, I have no set plans. I have a lot of things going on, but nothing is one more important than the other. So the next couple of years is going to be a massive transition, and then kind of settling into something more more stable. But but I'm also living it to the to the full, and you know, like I said, I've been only six days home now in the last two and a half months, uh, and trying to push every door and make the most of every single day.
0: And did I hear a little rumor that there might be a new Roka Sports coming to Galway? Yes. When is that plan going to happen?
1: Ho- hopefully in, in in the spring. Uh, hopefully before May. So in about five six months but but it's work in process yeah
0: brilliant well nico thank you so much thanks. for joining me on the show it's absolutely brilliant such a pleasure chatting to you you are an absolute yeah. legend and i wish you every success for the future my mother is so gonna love this podcast <laughs> she absolutely brilliant. loves you thanks Thanks for tuning in I hope you enjoyed this episode don't forget you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com I'd love to connect on social media you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram pop by and say hi and let me know what you think of the show if you are new to Try Talking Sport please do check out some of our previous episodes you will be both impressed and inspired by our guests finally be sure to sign up to our new e-zine featuring articles of interest some great discounts and the inside track on supporting your triathlon and endurance sport journey sign up over on the website it takes 30 seconds and i promise i won't bombard your inbox with emails just the important fun stuff until next time happy christmas be sure to stay safe keep smiling and to look for fun and adventure in every day